We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Game two tonight. In a few hours, you're listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, I have loved the level of focus that the Rui adjustment has made, right? And of course, there's going to be all sides to it, right? Where Lakers are like, oh, we cracked the code, and Nuggets fans are like... Rui ain't like ain't gonna stop Jokic and all that, but just the level of focus and discussion and debate around that, I don't remember that happening a ton in the past. And I think that's part of the fun of a playoff series is following the oh they did this. What is Denver gonna do to adjust? Tune in to the next episode, which is tonight, Mike, in Game Two. So I got my little list of adjustments for the Lakers, adjustments for Denver, but I want to start out in a more broad sense, kicking it to you. What's on your mind for Game Two? Little of it. It's a big list, Pete. <laughs> it's, it's got a couple items on it. we'll get to it yeah I, I mean the obvious part is just the simple energy to start and so that's where it's going to be better but i also don't think that it's a it's a foregone conclusion um that the lakers come in and and just you know punch denver in the mouth the same way because i think that, i think that this denver team is super highly motivated um and really believes uh, in themselves and so that's that's a team that you have to you have to contend with in a little bit of a different way. Like Golden State had the the championship type of energy from Steph Curry, certainly. But there were even parts of the series where Draymond didn't seem like he was fully uh, fully believed, right? Mm-hmm. That they could make their uh, make another run in that sense. And I don't think Memphis was is at a point yet um, where they had that type of full team understanding and belief that that is endeavor. So that's certainly a challenge. Uh, I a couple things have stood out to me. So this is where you start to get into the what one head coach says and what the other head coach says and what the adjustments are. And, you know, the obvious one was, OK, the Lakers put Rui Hachimura on Nikola Jokic, but we called it an adjustment. I kept I kept sort of saying and even asked Darwin this yesterday. Well, it's is it an adjustment if it was part of the plan going into the series and part of game one? Like mm-hmm. they were always going to defend Jokic some with a mixture of Rui and LeBron because they don't want to have AD on him the whole time. And especially after the way that you got a pretty clear proof of concept. And we talked about this on the last pod about what AD just being on Jokic was going to do um, that. I I think that was not going to be the main thing. And at the same time, 
it's not like Rui's just going to be able to start the game on Jokic and Jokic is just going to be flummoxed and, oh, no, what do I do? Like, You're you right. can take him down and just score on him uh, repeatedly. And, and AD will come over and help a couple times, and that will result in an Aaron Gordon dunk um, on one possession. And it might result in an Aaron Gordon open three. So it's not like Denver doesn't have any counters. But at the same time, the way that Malone um, talks about it, and here's the quote here, is like, much is being made of them putting Rui Hachimura and Nikola Jokic like we've never seen that before. Then he had, he had you know, kind of pithy comments about Russell um, kind of dismissive comments that you just don't hear many coaches explicitly saying about a player in the press for obvious reasons. And I told you guys this stuff was coming and it's going to keep coming, right? This is, this is sort of part of what um, Malone does. So I, that to me doesn't help Denver in the way that the Lakers, not that they need additional motivation, but it's, it's just, it's not as complicated, I think, as sometimes it starts to get made um, in, in all this context, what's going to happen, what the adjustments are. But like, I do I think that Denver has more adjustments than the Lakers? No, but that's because I don't think they have as versatile of a team. Uh, and that's basically the difference between LeBron and AD and Jokic. It's just that Jokic's fastball is so good. How much of that do you get like you got in the first quarter, you know, versus like energy wise? That's what I'm most curious to see. And if the Lakers come out with even just matching the, the type of energy that Denver had, then the game should go more like it went after that initial blitzkrieg. How are you feeling, Pete, about the game in general? Like heading into game two, like I'm sure you rewatched game one. I did not get a chance to rewatch game one. We don't have to dive into your list yet, but I'm just wondering, like just from the perspective of what Mike just laid out and like media comments and then the adjustments and what you saw on tape, like where where's your head at around the matchup? If the nature of that question is like, how do I feel in terms of like winning versus losing the game or the series and whatnot? Like there was a certain degree of like, if you lose to a superstar in their prime, hitting unbelievable shots and like the shot that he hit to end the third quarter, right? And the Lakers were on a run. Not only was that like a, a great shot, but it was also not a momentum killer because the Lakers continued that, but that's how you got to kind of hold on to a lead and great players making great plays. And so Jokic, again, is an all-timer in his prime playing great basketball where he's going to do things to a certain level where sometimes you lose a series because the other team has a guy like that, right? And yeah. that is a what I call an honorable death, right? But I also think that the late, after rewatching that game, I think that what we can do offensively is sustainable in a way where we can keep – look, Jokic is going to be great, but – can we keep KCP and Bruce Brown from scoring 40 points combined? I think we can. I don't think that makes me a homer either. And so like there were a lot of places where I thought that we could be better. But the main one is what the guys have been talking about, the level of effort and energy. And that's my biggest concern, D, is what is the first thing that Darvin Ham said when yeah. to start training camp? Our running habits. Denver, by the way they're built, is going to run on almost every play in terms of like everybody running up the court as fast as possible. We don't and we haven't. And that's something that if you're being outrun on the court, 20 possessions a game, players that are significantly less talented are going to succeed. They're going to win simply because you didn't run. And so that to me is a big question is can the Lakers run and sustain a level of zipping up and down the court. And if they can match it, like Mike said, I think we're in good shape. But the main pivot point on that is like KCP and D'Lo. We saw KCP be the third or fourth best player on a championship team in large part because he goes and goes and goes and goes. And that's my biggest concern with D'Lo. And I think part of the reason why Malone and Bruce Brown afterward were like, we're going to try and play him off the court. So that's those are some of my 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 quick thoughts on that. 
No, I think that it's super interesting. I thought we gave short shrift to like the transition ideas within yeah, this series we spend and, time and like how much it. it was going to matter mm-hmm. for for both teams. Like that was just an idea that we just didn't give a lot of time to and we just should have. Like the Lakers have been a below average, and that's probably being generous, transition defense team all season. And the Nuggets, whatever you think of their transition offense in terms of classic transition stuff, they get up the court quickly and they are looking to initiate and score early in the clock. And it's an issue that the Lakers are going to need to resolve in its own way. Game one of the Nuggets series reminded me a little bit of the Portland series in the first round, um, game one of the 2020 Lakers playoffs. In that game, both teams sort of shot kind of poorly, and Portland won. And there was a lot of talk about sustainability after that game and ideas around, well, from the Blazers' side, they were like, the Lakers can't shoot. Of course they shot poorly. Mm-hmm. We, as the Blazers, have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. We're not going to shoot this poorly again because we have those dudes. And after the game, Pete, me and you talked and we were like, I'm interested in that idea because the Lakers have been one of the best defensive teams all season and one of the better offensive teams all season. Like not an elite offense, but like a very good offense. And we thought to ourselves, that seems that idea seems wrong. Right. That the Lakers defense wasn't going to be able to hold up against the Blazers while the Lakers offense was going to continue to be held down by a subpar Blazers defense. And I and we jumped on that point and, the, and then the Lakers won the next four games, mostly through the idea that their offense was too good for Denver's defense and the Lakers defense was good enough to control Dame. And, and, and so I'm looking at the Denver series and I'm having similar questions about Denver's defense and the ability to hold down a Lakers offense that doesn't have a very strong reputation Mm -hmm. and a Lakers defense that has a much better reputation than what they showed in game one against Denver, who has a very good offense. And so, Mike, these are the battles I'm having in my head around which team takes the bigger step forward against their against their type to a certain extent, right? Like, is the Lakers offense going to continue to sustain at a level that seems like above what they've been during the season against a defense that isn't as great? Or is Denver's offense going to continue to be great against a Lakers defense that coming in was thought to be great, but maybe is going to be put down by an excellent Denver team? And these are the ideas that I'm shuffling with now. It's funny that you brought up that Portland series because I alluded to it when I in a question to AD yesterday um, just in that the game the way that game one went felt more like the feel out game ones that the Lakers had in the bubble Um, and same thing against Houston early in that series and incidentally that Portland game one was like my peak level of annoyance at the whole shooting conversation um, in that Lakers team (laughs) they the Lakers coaches had a stat there where like the shot quality that they had in that game one was like one of the best they'd had the entire season, just Mm -hmm. wide open look after wide open look. And, and they just all happened to not fall. And 
you know, but like the way that Portland is, it's what you said, Darius. Well, but they've got Lillard and McCollum. And then the Lakers just completely snuffed out any of those good looks and swarmed them and and blasted them off the court in the next four games and hit plenty of shots because they had guys that were capable of making the wide open shots that they were going to keep getting. Uh, and, and so now, though, this Denver team is a little different in that, like in that type of a series, they had Portland had so many different spots to attack. And so did Houston. And a lot of them were on the perimeter. And in this case, it's the it's the stuff that we've been talking about. And Pete, you've been highlighting with Jokic being at the rim. That's where the money is made in this kind of a series. Um, you can you can take advantage of Murray, certainly. And they did um, both LeBron and Hachimura creating all kinds of you know ISO scoring opportunities on him. But it's really more that downhill thing. And this is where I tie in the fast break, the transition game and the transition points. So what we're saying of the, of the Lakers not being a great transition team defensively this year, I think we can be more specific. And it's it's year 20 LeBron. It's Anthony Davis having yep. to do a ton of stuff. And then it's not it's just not big physical athletes um, on the perimeter, especially starting with Austin and with D'Lo. It's just like, well, well yeah, but. All you have to do is, and, and this is, it sounds reductive almost, it's like it's easy, but that is an effort thing also. And this is where, this is, gets back to the four out of seven thing with LeBron and AD. Did, we weren't saying yeah. anything about their transition transition defense in game six um, of either the last two series, were we? Right. Um, or in, in the games that they felt like they really had to bring. They're not going to win it just by nature of this, who this Denver team is and who the athletes are and, and sort of what they have to do every game. But that's the question is, can they do that? Can they can they at least have that even out four times? And and I think that they can. I think that that's part of the whole plan. Um, it's just that that's that's what transition defense means. Sometimes it's like what stage of your career are you at and how much do you have to give? For sure. But it is the Western Conference finals. Right. And I would argue that we lost a game we could have won in large part because of our transition defense, because we didn't bring that in the first half. And to and it's something that all the players and the, the coaches have said. And so do I think that we can't do it four times out of seven? No, I totally think we can do it that. But we missed one opportunity to get to get one of them against a very good team that, unlike that Portland team, has yeah. a constant entry point in Jokic. You can't swarm Jokic and take him out of the game in a way where he can't leave his imprint. Right. And so that is the fundamental difference. But it will be a test of our defense, D. And so I'm curious your thoughts on the since the big story is the Rui adjustment, right? And maybe Rui starts tonight, maybe not. But when when they go to that that type of look, what is Denver's counter next? Where they've got Anthony Davis on Aaron Gordon, but not really. He's kind of sagging off of him into the paint. Rui's job is to make Jokic go east-west. You got a little bit of help from the other guards digging down, whether it's Austin or Dennis, you know, making Jokic at least pick up his dribble before he backs Rui all the way down under the basket. And so these all kind of play into that. But as Denver said, it's not the first time they've seen that look. I would argue that it's the first time they've seen that look with Anthony Davis behind it, right? Like, and that is at least going to be problematic in its own way. But what can Denver do to kind of counter this? So I think there's two or three different ideas that I would have if if I were the coach. Um, first is Denver is already very used to running inverted ball screens and using Jokic as a ball handler in ball screens. And if the idea is... Like we want to get Anthony Davis out of help situations on Jokic and potentially get him back onto Jokic to put other players in help situations. Then how are the Lakers? I'd test 
how the Lakers are going to defend ball screens when Aaron Gordon comes up and sets ball screens for, for Nikola Jokic. And if the Lakers are going to just like switch that, even if it's not a good screen, then okay, great adjustment. Lakers, you put, you put a guy onto Jokic that you're just going to switch off at the first time that there's a screen, then okay, problem solved. And now we go back to what we were doing before. The second option is moving Gordon away from the dunker spot and into the and into the corner. That's not going to that's not going to move AD very much. AD is going to still be standing like very close to to the paint to be a help option, but Gordon is going to get shots either open threes or he's going to be catching the ball on the move coming towards the basket where he's a physical athlete with who can who can finish through contact and and can elevate and draw fouls and do other stuff right and then third is you can start to use gordon as a off ball screener in order to free up guys who are going to shoot off of the ball or cut to to the basket and utilize Jokic's vision as a passer. Pete. They did that with about 90 seconds left during the last couple minutes of that game, Mike, where they they ran a ball screen where Jokic set the screen and then Gordon set a pin screen for on, uh, I think it was Dennis or it might've been Austin. Whoever was guarding KCP got a wide open wing three. KCP missed that shot, but that's an example of what Darius was just talking about. Yeah. I, I want to give you guys the quote because I asked Davis about this. Basically, you know, what are you if you guys go into that more often and you're in the rover spot, you know, what what are you actually looking at out there? And he said, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Um, and then got got a laugh from from everybody. Um, I got to figure it out. That's it. I got to help everybody. That's my job on this team to help everybody defensively protect guys. Obviously, Gordon is a different beast than anyone we played this playoffs when I'm the roamer. He can jump. They can throw lobs to him. He's good ceiling in the paint, offensive rebounds, things like that. I can't be helping too much and let him get boards, when, which he got late in the game with me doing that with Rui and Jokic. You got to mix up pitches. I got to read the flow of the game and decide if Rui got him, do I fully commit and just go box out Gordon or do I go to help? So I guess it comes down to this is where I want to just inject LeBron back into this. But Davis yes. is the best at doing that. Uh, and Jokic right now is – it's like the best at doing what he's doing. Those two things I think are going to be pretty consistent. AD's not going to win all those battles, but he's going to give you a better chance than anybody else. Mm-hmm. When LeBron can then lift the rest of his game, transition, quick, quick attacks in, in half court, et cetera. That's that I think is the thing that I don't that Denver like Murray's gonna do Murray's gonna be good, but he's not gonna break the game in that context. So um that's that's uh to me is like I'm most watching LeBron. Um, to start game two. I think that the rebounding battles in particular are going to be important. So like the scenario that AD was just going through when he engages with Jokic, meaning that he treats Jokic's actions as though he's about to shoot or score and gets a hand up, that takes him off of Aaron Gordon, where now LeBron has to win the rebounding battle in the drop down against Gordon. And he lost a couple of those, right? We forced a couple of kind of tougher fading eight or 10 footers, but Gordon would get the offensive rebound in part because LeBron didn't get in the mix like that. And so to your point earlier, Mike, about the, we need that four out of seven times, that is one place that I think things can change. So let's take a break here. Keep up our conversation about adjustments. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. One thing I want to just say before we transition to the other side of the floor is that idea of doing it four out of seven times. When you're playing an opponent as good as the Nuggets, you may have to do it five out of seven times or six out of seven yeah, times in they order still beat to get you your four the wins. The time that you do it, that's right. Yeah, because I said this to you guys behind the scenes in sort of a trolley way, but but it's just like I really mean this. The Lakers are the number seven seed playing against the number one seed, who is basically the number one seed the the entire season. The Nuggets basically tanked the last month of their season in order to rest up to be ready for this exact situation where they would have their guys fresh and ready to go in order to advance in the playoffs to a point that they have not gone Mm -hmm. before with this group of players. And what is their ultimate goal in order to win the NBA championship? Mike has talked a lot about a hungry Nuggets team, and that is 100% correct. This team was built to win the NBA championship, and anything below that is going to be Sorry, Giannis, a failure to them as as a season. And so Denver, in their own way, I'm not saying they should feel more pressure. I'm not pulling out the Steph and Steve Kerr like, oh, (laughs) they're the ones that feel pressure. Uh Like, they're the ones that have to win. We're just. No, but but I am saying that Denver understands the task at hand. And the Lakers are going to have to beat them when they are in that motivational state. And it may not be like, oh, I've done this four times. That should be enough, right? Because this is an excellent basketball team Mm -hmm. and they were favored to win. And even though I want the Lakers to win, Denver should, quote unquote, win this series. They have home court advantage. They have uh, they have a two-time MVP in his prime. They have all of these ingredients. And so I just wanted to sort of make that point a little bit because we're coming at this from the perspective of what the Lakers can do to win. And I mm-hmm. truly believe the Lakers can win. And there is a path for them. And it's not this narrow, small okay. path where there's only one way. And if that one way doesn't work, they're, it's, it's all going to hell. No, 
They've got avenues. They are a versatile team. The Lakers are, and they have chances. I just sort of wanted to frame the conversation a little bit in a way because it's just an interesting thing to consider. I, no, I, I think to add to that too, the Lakers in that same period of time where Denver was resting and gearing up, were playing the biggest game of the season every weekend, right? It was like two months <laughs> yes. straight of playoff basketball, which has its own advantage, right? Where that I think kind of manifested in the, the first two rounds of, of this series. And so- that said, though, I, I do think that there is reason and there those avenues that you're talking about largely lie on the offensive end of the floor in that Agreed. the Lakers are a good offense. It's not what the Lakers are best at, but I do think what we're good at is what Denver is worst at in terms of putting pressure on the rim. And we've gone over this a bit, uh, but I want to zero in, zero in more specifically on Jamal Murray and the amount that we hunted him, right? And so... LeBron is an on-ball, pick-and-roll ball handler, was just picking out whoever Murray is guarding, we're going to go after him. And so I want to talk about what are Denver's options in that. The two things that they generally did to start that game were either switching, and they switched a ton, and then at the end, they were trying to kind of show and recover more, and the Lakers had a counter each time, right? When they were switching, Mike, it's LeBron backing Murray down into the paint and just bully ball type style. And that's exactly exactly what, what we want to see there. If they're hedging and recovering, that's when Austin started to go off in the fourth quarter and get those open shots. Now, that's probably the best, uh, one of the better case scenarios for the Nuggets is they're either going to have to like concede a wide open jump shot to somebody, or they're going to have to switch something where like size in, and athleticism is a problem, Mike. So that's kind of where my head is at on the Lakers offense. I'm curious where you are, it, it, because I think that there's a lot that's sustainable and I'm struggling to see what Denver can do. I'd like your thoughts on this too, D, but yeah, where are you at on that, Mike? I'm not exactly sure, but I think that when we when we're looking at how Denver played game one and how they played the Lakers in the regular season, what they did to the Lakers early was much more to me about offense and offensive glass and transition and running like the stuff that they're best at. I, I don't think that they, they necessarily like attacked the Lakers defensively mm -hmm. um, in the half court and made it really difficult for them. They just swarmed in a way and made it difficult for them to get looks um, like we saw Memphis and Golden State um, do. And, and so that, that does beg the question um, if they have a different level of focus on that end, what, you know, what do they do? And then how do they make things look a little bit more difficult for the Lakers? Part of that to me is, is about the looks that Anthony Davis was getting and the the problem for them though is like well with with Jokic they're not gonna they're not gonna have him come up you know they're not gonna have him do something different they're not gonna have him switch they're gonna keep having him drop and if so then they'd have to bring a double from somewhere else um, and I suppose they could do that right that that might be the one thing where they're bringing an extra body and they're either like maybe it's Aaron Gordon and they're they're gonna take their chances with LeBron um, shooting which of course is dangerous in its own way but I to me they I think that if I were mm -hmm. thinking about what the Nuggets should do, it probably would be something like that. Um, it would be to to just hope that the Lakers have a, a bad shooting variance night um, and just not let not let Anthony Davis have all of those one on one um, type of looks around the paint because that that was the most frequently sustainable look that the Lakers got, and of course he hit most of them. And then out of those actions, since it looked like he was going to do it again, then other guys got shots um, and other guys were able to get switches. So um, that's. That's the first thing that I can think of, but I'm sure Darius has something cooked up. Good stuff. I'm just interested if Malone is going to continue to switch. 
the way that he did. He got asked a question post-game out of game one, and he said, yeah, we've been a switch team for most of the season with our small ball lineups. Guys are guys not named Nikola. We switch quite a bit. We challenge our smalls to fight guys like Carl Anthony Towns, to fight guys like Kevin Durant. Obviously, tonight, LeBron and Rui, they had their way with us down there. Then our tough two is going to beat you. And if you start double teaming, you open up the three-point line. We'll watch film and yada, yada, yada. Play harder, right? Coach speak after that. But I thought it was pretty revealing that he was just like, this is our plan. This is what we do. And it's like, okay, that's where that idea of what's sustainable. Because, Pete, I don't know, man. You continue to play in a drop against Anthony Davis and let him find an offensive rhythm where he gets to shoot 20 times. How many times have I lamented this season, both on and off the pod? And I know y'all got sick of me off the pod. Never. Do you want me to read the, I found the quotes from Malone. (laughs) Look, I can read a room. AD is such a rhythm offensive player, Pete, that it's just like, I used to guess, I was so frustrated with these like, nine and 11 shot attempt nights when he clearly was like either the best option or like tied for the best option with well with LeBron James but he's below shot attempts for with like Malik Beasley took 14 shots and AD took 12 and it's just like what are we doing what are Mm -hmm. we doing but the way that Denver defended and seemingly their strategy based off of what Michael Malone was saying is that, well, we're just going to ask our guys to do what we do better. Mm. And I'm wondering if that's actually going to be his strategy or if that's just stuff that he's saying, because it's traditionally been a losing strategy to say we're going to switch on LeBron pick and rolls when he's going to run inverted ball screens and against an AD heavy offense, it's typically been bad news to just be like, yeah, well, we're just going to play normal drop coverages against this guy and hope yep. he can't make eight footers. Explain what inverted ball screens is relative to. No. So that's so LeBron is a, a supersized wing, but he plays power forward a bunch. And so he's got a bigger defender on him a lot. And what he does is traditionally is call guards to come and set screens for him. And so normally in ball screen actions, it's a big setting a screen for a small, but the Lakers and Denver does this too. Mm -hmm. They have their big guys handle the ball and then they call guards into the screen action and they make a guard defend a ball screen in a way in which they're just not accustomed to defending ball screens. And so how many times Pete, did you see Murray be like, are we switching? Oh, I'm switching. Oh, I'm on LeBron now? That's a big ask. That's a big ask. Like, look, Jamal Murray can have all the heart in the world. He can, you know, whatever motivational speech Mike Malone has, anything like that. You got to send additional resources to that or you're going to lose that matchup. Yeah, and I understand then if you're going to give up that switch, and this is why it's just like, I'm wondering if it actually continues. Because if you're going to give up that switch, LeBron drew a couple of fouls on Murray and then they started to like hedge because they didn't want Murray to get on LeBron Mm -hmm. because he was going to get his sixth foul with like four minutes left. And so if you send doubles, though, LeBron is going to just pass. He's one of the best passers ever. And if Denver needs to see what that's going to look like, they should watch film of themselves. Because (laughs) when you double team Jokic, it's the same stuff. It's just like he's just going to pick guys out for for easy shots. And so I'm super interested to see what Denver does on on defense because 
in that idea of sustainability, Pete, what the Lakers, the types of shots the Lakers were getting, those are too good of shots to mm-hmm. expect them to suddenly shoot 45% on those. I also think that the 24 three-point attempts being a very low number, I think is a good sign for the Lakers as well, that there's that repeatable in the paint type of scoring. And the one way that you can get away with those doubles on a guy like LeBron is if you're leaving somebody open on the perimeter who you're fine with taking an open three. And that's kind of where I think this conversation ends is I I, I do think you have to send a double. If it's LeBron on Murray, he's just going to back him down over and over again. And like you're re- running the risk of foul trouble. That's another thing that we haven't talked a ton about. If either AD... Is that how Austin got a lot of those threes? Yes. Late though? Yes, right? And so that's the thing is that that's part of the reason why like their best option probably ends in our normal lineups. Like Dennis Schroeder has an open three. Like Dennis is going to miss some of those, but he's pretty good at them, right? Like That's part of the reason why I'm high on the Lakers offense is that the... There are certain like you can attack this one on one matchup in ways where Denver's going to have to send 1.5 that way or a, a straight up double team where the end result of that, if the Lakers execute properly, which is not always the case. That's that's one thing with our doubles is that we don't relocate to the right spots right away a lot. This is sort of a cousin of our transition defense problems. Like there are times where after you set a screen, your job is to not linger below the three point line in a four out type of offense. You got to relocate to corner or wing or or wherever. And there are times where we kind of linger. So they can double in those moments and we're not in the right spot to be able to exploit it. So that that's like a, a place they can get some wins. But yeah, Mike, I, I think a lot of those places end in an open three for Austin or, or Dennis, right? And Draymond made a pretty compelling argument about Vanderbilt's value, I thought. Uh, in if, if you didn't hear Draymond's podcast, he had some interesting thoughts on this. I'd love to hear his thoughts on Vanderbilt's offensive uh, struggles in that if you've got him on the court D with LeBron and AD, that position yeah, what his more- role would be. Yeah. yeah, you want Draymond's exit to no solution for how yeah. to help with Vando on offense. And I get that. Because to me, yeah, that, those possessions a lot of times end with a Vanderbilt corner three for a reason, because that's exactly what the defense is fine with giving up. And so that's that said, though, that middle part of the game and Draymond, uh, what Draymond was talking about, like switching ball screens and just having Vando on Murray a lot more. And the Nuggets, people say that Murray can struggle with athletic length a bit, I think is a place where we can really make some headway. And I'm curious your thoughts on that, guys. The bench group, that wraparound, that non-AD minutes that have been a weakness, Mike, we ran them in those minutes. And I'm curious the sustainability of that. Well, it's also, I'm just also, we haven't talked a lot about the starting lineup and what are they going to do? You know, are they going to start? Because that impacts whatever the bench group is going to be. Darwin hinted yesterday and and it could have been for strategy purpose, but also because I think a lot of it was, was true when somebody asked him about the small lineup and essentially is that the reason he lost the game? And he's like, well, no, that, I mean, that <laughs> the groupings didn't end up looking favorable, but nothing would have looked good with that level of energy. It's the same thing we talked about with, yes, they blew an opportunity. Had they brought yeah. the requisite transition defense? I, I just didn't feel that was going to be possible um, given the circumstances of, of what Denver was going, going to be committed to doing and trying to the Lakers trying to get themselves it's hard. It's, it, it's almost too hard to explain that. Um, Cause I think when you're, you're, you might be thinking, well, what do you mean? Why couldn't they do it? You know, it's game one of the Western conference finals, but it's, you just have to, you have to kind of really factor in what Denver's approach was going to be. Um, so if they, if they go back to Vanderbilt in the starting lineup, which is possible, right. Do they go right? Do they go to Rui or do they like that? Do they think that Denver is anticipating 
that it's going to be more of this, all of this Rui Jokic thing. And then they don't start that way. And then they bring Rui in off the bench mm-hmm. six minutes into the game and then give an early switch up. Like he didn't come until a little later last game. So um, Pete, I'm not really answering your question. I'll leave that to Darius. I just think that we should, we should think about kind of what the Lakers are actually wanting to do with the lineups. Cause you know, there are a couple of different options there. And I'm glad that you redirected it there, Mike, because it has a chain reaction effect in that if Dennis is coming off the bench, I don't think you can play Dennis and Lonnie together against these physical run up that like they're going to attack Lonnie's chest the way that they do Dennis uh, and D'Lo and Austin right in open space. And Malone's quote was just talking about that. We like to switch. We like to get out in transition and run. And and so that is something that if Dennis goes to the bench, I'm not sure this is a Lonnie series at that point. Yeah, I'm super interested to see how things play out. I think the Lakers' path towards winning this series is being the bigger, more physical team, mm-hmm. which seems weird when the other team has like maybe the biggest sort of like offensive forceful player in the entire league. Um, and then back that up with Gordon and then have like physical guards as well. Like almost every player they play is just like – sort of a a physical like i'm gonna get into you sort sort of guy even jeff green to a certain extent he's he's got old band game now but he can still go in the paint and finish and and he's a capable veteran that that can be a two-way player for them so i i agree with what darvin was saying based off of effort and energy i also think that when you play smaller the way that the Lakers did on the perimeter the shot quality for Denver's guards goes up just Mm -hmm. because the level of contesting is harder like Austin was not bothering Michael Porter Jr. at all and few players can yeah yeah few few players can bother Michael Porter Jr.'s jumper but a player that short definitely isn't LeBron was doing a much better job on, I loved his defense on, on MPJ on MPJ just because LeBron's a physical guy. He can get underneath him a little bit and he's strong. And so Porter Jr. isn't the most physical guy. But guess what? If he puts a shoulder into Austin Reeves in order to create space, Austin's moving the same for Dennis and the same for D'Lo. And so I don't know what's going to happen like I'm super interested in the idea of like what the Lakers best five is against this team and how it's probably going to be different than what the best five was against the Warriors. And it's Mm -hmm. probably going to be different than what the best five was against the Grizzlies. Like by the end of the Grizzlies series, I thought D'Angelo Russell was super important. He was to what the Lakers were doing against Memphis because he was that shot maker from the perimeter that punished the bigger switching defense that was really trying to maul LeBron and AD inside. And so he was the guy that's just like, oh, well, you don't have an answer for me out here. And Austin did some of that too. And then Rui was that other guy that was just shooting the lights out against Golden State. It was just like, well, we got to throw all of our guards out there. And Dennis was a super big difference maker in, in game six, similar to like what Caruso did in game six against Miami in 2020, where it's just like, no, this dude is the linchpin that can do things on both sides of the floor. That's just going to open things up for us and turn into a route. And so Mike, where are you at with that? That to me is just the difference between the 19 the 2019 20 team and this team where the best five was going to have caruso in it because when you started the classic center and when things got down to it 
either Dwight or JaVale, you know, that that wasn't just how basketball is being played now. And that's that player is just insanely dominant. And yet, like against Denver, in that one sense, that was kind of your best yep. five because you knew that Jokic was going to be on the floor. But that was it, right? That's the only t- matchup where maybe that was kind of the best five. Um, otherwise, it was it was going to be getting Caruso into it. Well, this year, this is where I think it, the beauty of Rui Hachimura in that you can be bigger, but you don't lose all of the things that you might lose with the traditional center um, when he's in there because AD is then the the center. But Rui, you're getting size, but you're still getting shooting. and it's, it's almost like this, Pete, like if the Lakers had a Dwight Howard type, even like, let's say the Dwight Howard in 2020, in this current matchup, would you actually want him on the floor to sort of bang around with Jokic? Or would you rather have AD try to hold it down there and have Rui to then have your offense be helped? And like, I think you can make a pretty good case in this series that you actually might take Rui and just take your just take your chances that way. Um, and knowing that Denver's not going to be able to defend you. So the only other element to bring into this is that if Denver, the reason why that works though, is because they play MPJ and, and Gordon as their two forwards next to Jokic. If they played Bruce Brown over one of those two, then you could get back into the, maybe you do need another guard um, in that setting, or at least you can survive better. And then you get some of the benefits of what D'Lo can do. But the the short answer in this series, anticipating who Denver's going to play is that it's, it's Dennis, Austin, Rui, mm-hmm. LeBron, and AD. That's, that's your best five. Uh, I think with with understanding that Denver's going to probably stay with their typical lineup. I think that's spot on, and I think that that's why I want I want to play that card from the top with Rui uh, in part two because if they do go to the Bruce Brown adjustment, there's still a fundamental you run out of guys, and Rui is end, ends up on a much smaller player, and he just he's so good at beating size disadvantage. Uh, right. And and I think that even putting Bruce Brown in the game, that doesn't solve that. Right. And so playing one of MPJ or Aaron Gordon off of the floor in their best fives, I think would be a huge win for the Lakers. Right. And that's no dis- disrespect to Bruce Brown. I just think that Rui still presents problems in, in that sort of sense. And so I want to see them play that. So let's wrap up here because uh, the game's in a, a couple hours. So hopefully everyone can get to listen to it before tip off. We will be back either tonight or tomorrow to recap the game. Go Lakers. But until then, You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound is lining. Three seconds left. Van Nex for the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has...
Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.